Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello joystick wagglers. Can you believe it? We're nearing the end of series four already. Feels like we've only just got here. And if you're one of our Patreon backers, you will have already heard that we are ending series four at episode 17. Kind of like as Dom says in episode 17. We know the gore special is technically episode 18, but we are saving that for its own special episode, which means it's now time for you to send in your feedback to the fourth series for the wrap up episode. Tell us your thoughts on the series, your favorite challenges, your favorite celebrities, your least favorite moments, challenges, and celebrities. Tell us what you have made of this format change now that Dom is leading the charge. Send in your feedback as either an email or as an MP3 to feedback at underconsultation.com before October 19th, 2021. Now, let's get on with this week's episode. Greetings and welcome to Hell. This is Under Consultation, an episode-by-episode podcast guide through the UK's greatest video game challenge TV show, Games Master. I am one of your hosts, Luke Cohen, and I too am downloading stuff from the Library of Congress for my mum. And keeping off Lee's doorstep, I am Ash Versus. This episode aired... Oh, that challenge. This episode aired <laughs> on the 27th of December 1994. FIFA 95 topped the console charts, but there's no change again in the film and music charts as Miracle on 34th Street is top of the box office and E17 Stay Another Day is top of the pops. Yeah, big song in Zimbabwe. Big song in Zimbabwe. Huge. As big as their jackets were. My brain just went Zimbabwe's jackets and I realised, no, wait, you meant E17. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've had that song stuck in my head, actually, for the past couple of days while we've been recording these. Oh, same. It's really annoying because, like, I'm I'm, I'm trying to get into Halloween mood, not not Christmas mood. Exactly, yeah. The creepy line, I watch you while you're sleeping. Don't do that, mate. 
Don't do that. That's the remit of Sting in The Police. Yeah. <laughs> or is that our own? Sting. But, Luke, we've had Christmas. We've had our feel of presents and stuffing and turkey. We've had Boxing Day, so we've had our fill of boxes. Um, we're now on a bank holiday Tuesday, which is a weird beast and one you don't get too often. No, you do not. Shall we unbox Dominic's big purple column? Indeed. Well, you know, I'm so full of turkey. What I really actually want to be full on now is a big purple column. Well, today is your lucky day, my friend. Although... Stuff me with it. it it's only going to be half the column we're used to. Oh, really? Maybe because, you know, there's so much turkey, you don't want to overfill yourself with column. Got to save room for that cheese board. Ew. <laughs> <laughs> Although I am rather partial to cheese. Oh, yeah, me too. Anyway, it's Wednesday, so it must be L.A., we head out to the set of Mortal Kombat, the movie, a feature we will be looking at in a few weeks' time. We will do indeed, yeah. Oh, that's cool. Bit of insight into what his time was like there. For all you out there on Hollywood plot life support machines, the story goes that Johnny Cage, Liu Kang and Sonya Blade are buddies who are going out to the Mortal Kombat tournament. Katana appears and becomes their Ben Kenobi-like figure, that's not wrong, Mm -hmm. who reveals to them that the tournament is just an excuse for Shang Tsung to open some hellish portal. Then everybody fights each other. Oh yeah, and the bloke who plays Johnny Cage told me that he gets to snog Sonya Blade, and Liu Kang gets to snog Kitana. Both are true. More important than that though, Luke, just how fit are the birds? Very, apparently. Sonya Blade is played by Bridget Wilson, who played opposite Arnie in Last Action Hero, and Kitana, we have Talisa Soto, former Bond girl in The Living Daylights, and the most beautiful woman in the world apart from Beth from Neighbours and apart from my girlfriend, who aren't the same person. And I'm going to assume, without putting this into my Google machine, Beth from Neighbours is Natalie Imbruglia. You would be correct. And definitely one or both of us didn't Google that and then edit it to make it sound like we didn't. Nope. And I wouldn't have put the Battletoads pause music in there to indicate that. No, I wouldn't have done that at all. Anyway, apparently, Talisa was a bit grumpy because she didn't like her lunch and she wanted to know what questions I'd be asking her. So I said, oh, you'll hate them. They'll be really weird, some of them will be sexist, some of them insulting, and some of them are just plain ignorant, but that's the kind of show we are. And bizarrely, instead of smacking me in the mouth, she really got into this, and we did a great interview. I'm marrying her next month. Everyone's invited, except you. I mean, great interview is a stretch. Having seen what the interview is, calling it a great interview is a stretch. She plays up to it, though. She, oh, yeah, I, no. I will actually give credit. Every single one of the people he interviews for Mortal Kombat as part of that feature on the final episode of this season is into it. And they get it and they play with Dom. Like, yeah. they have some fun. So I find it believable. That's what I find very interesting about Games Master in this period of time. We have spoken to people as well who have said, man, when you look back on Games Master, it hasn't aged particularly well because it is a bit sexist. It's it's this, that and the other. But like they were aware of that. Like it's a very self-aware thing. And they're playing like Dominic Diamond literally says there, by the way, this interview is going to feature questions that would be like this because that's the show that we are. It's not like they were doing it in a malicious way. They were just almost like playing up to it. They were being naughty schoolboys. Exactly, yeah. It was puerile juvenile humour. Not meant to be mean-spirited, although sometimes mm, doesn't come across so well. But the next day, and travelling back in time in the order that they appeared in the episodes, it's their trip to Lawnmower Man 2. I assumed they were filmed close together. Yeah, well, probably in the next, uh, in the next studio. <laughs> yeah. It's like walking into a different world. For a start, it's being filmed on one of the lots at Paramount Studios. 
I have a slight disagreement with Johnny, the producer, because he's looking a bit too cool in his tatty jumper and jeans, and I really feel he should be suited up. Johnny reminds me that he used to live in LA, and it would be very easy to take a wrong turn and leave me stranded in South Central, where the Crips and the Bloods play games with guns. So I shut up. (laughs) Having heard about Dom and Johnny's relationship, I can entirely believe that was said both in jest and slightly seriously. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, walking onto that set was one of the most exciting moments of my life. This was LA, this was Hollywood, this was Jet Set. This was probably why we had to wait five and a half hours to get an interview with Patrick Bergen. He's played Robin Hood, and he was the enemy in Sleeping with the Enemy. He's the most famous person I've ever met. He's very smart, very tall, and has shaved off his famous tash to play the role of Trace, a scientist who gangs up with four streetwise kids, led by Austin O'Brien, star of The Last Action Hero, and the wee boy who was Job's pal in the original Lawnmower Man film. Together they attempt to kick Job's bottom. I could tell you all about what the star said in the interview, but then you wouldn't need to watch Games Master to see the exclusive features we've done on the two films. I'm not even going to tell you what show the features will appear on either, because you should be watching every week. Bollocks, Dom, you didn't know. Yeah, exactly. Meanwhile, for the countdowns, we've got Dom's favourite things. In reverse order, at number five, Johnny the Games Master producer's dress sense. Number four, the Liverpool psycho in Cracker. There's a reference of his time. That could refer mm-hmm. to any number of episodes of Cracker. Number three, anything to do with Echo Belly. Ooh. Wow, wow. There's a name I haven't thought of in a long time. Long time, absolutely it is. Rogers and Cohen, who organised our LA trip, is at number two. And number one, Talisa Soto. His top five games, again in reverse order. Number five, Earthworm Jim. Excellent choice. Number four, PGA 486 CD. Oh, that's a catchy title, but that's a golf game with the CD-ROM version. Yeah, just rolls off the tongue, that one. Number three is Madden 95 on the Mega Drive. Number two, Street Racer on the SNES. And number one, Would You Adam and Eve It? It's Sensible World of Soccer on the Amiga. Man, like when Dominic started doing the big purple column back in series two, when we were covering the magazine, you know, when the magazine launched and everything. And I'm almost certain in week one of the purple column, and people might be able to correct me on this, was Sensi at the top of his favorite games. And here we are a few years later, and it's still always going to be top of the charts when a new version of it comes out. It really, really should have been an evergreen title. And kind of what stuns me is that we never had it as a challenge. We've had like every other football game under the sun, but we've never had a Sensi challenge and we'll never get one. That's weird because we also know they were playing it a lot around the production offices. Yeah, you'd think like that that would be a slam dunk of a thing. They're also friends with the people that make it. Games Master are in Sensible Soccer. I wonder... Because we know they had an agreement with EA and FIFA because of the amount that FIFA featured and also getting to see the 3DO and, to be honest, with EA, getting to see that rugby game as well. Mm-hmm. I wonder if contractually it was a case of you can have these exclusives from us, but you can't have Sensi as a challenge. Yeah, because like, cause he had super sidekicks in episode one, but that's a very different kettle of fish. Like, FIFA isn't competing against sidekicks. It is, though, competing against Sensi. None of the football games they do feature as challenges are competing against FIFA at all. But Sensi, Sensi definitely was. Maybe it'll be in the book, which we may actually have. By the time this episode airs, yeah, we may already have it in our hands. Or certainly not too far removed from it. Time is weird right now. (laughs) Anyway, that was Dom's big purple column. Not quite as girthy as usual, but still strangely satisfying. Welcome to Games Master, the show that flushes away those stubborn toilet stains and leaves your bowl smelling clean and full of fun even under the rim. Well, a fun little note about this episode before we get into it is that this had a special airtime. This aired an hour 
before that it usually did. So it was on at half past five in the afternoon because following this was the premiere of The Adventures of Baron Munchausen. From the people who could have brought you the greatest story ever told. Tallest is somewhat of a distraction to me. Comes the tallest story ever told. Hello. You believe me, don't you? From the tallest storyteller that ever told a porky. Never lie. <laughs> Terry Gilliam's Adventures of Baron Munchausen, Tuesday, five past six on Channel Four. Ooh, that is a fun and interesting film. Yeah, so they had to put this on at half past five. Gamesmaster was a bit risque for half past six. Half past five, scandal. I know. Considering, like, you know, the, the lads that we get in our first challenge here who start fighting with each other. We'll get to that in a we'll second. Get to, we'll get to that in a sec. Um, but yeah, I mean, you uh, you didn't use this as your line in the end for the opening where it's talking about, you know, even under the rim. Yeah, I do love how they play with the tropes surrounding them. So the advert, I, I enjoyed this one. I thought it was I thought it was a good fun. They flush away stubborn toilet stains and leave your bowl smelling clean and full of fun. And, and that's what I like about this. Is he's found a way to incorporate fun into everything while saying it in as dry of a tone as possible. And then Dom, because he can't not be a dick to the goblins at the start of a show, knocks over a goblet of wine, coffee, Iron brew, something. Something that the goblins have to clean up. Well, let's pass through the nation's water and get into our first challenge. What are we playing, Games Master? My first challenge of the show is on the charming Super Nintendo platform romp, the Smurfs. Playing as an adorable blue pixie, players must use their bombs to clear their way to the end of the level before they're engulfed in the rising pool of lava. As usual, the player who finishes in the fastest time wins the joystick. Would you describe the Smurfs as adorable blue pixies? No, but I also wouldn't describe this game as charming. <laughs> yeah. I, I quite like this as a challenge, though. This is a good level to put on the challenge. It's a race against time, effectively, because you've got to get up to the exit while avoiding this lava that's crawling up behind you or you know underneath you, uh, so to speak. So that's quite cool. It's very, and I've said this a few times, it's very Series 2, this challenge. Now, when it comes to Smurf games, there were a smurfing lot of them, Luke, across a lot of smurfing platforms. And most of them weren't smurfing good. No, they were utterly smurfed. And in fact, there were so many Smurf games being released around this time that finding information on the SNES one can occasionally prove a bit difficult. But thankfully, I do have Chris Scullion's SNES Encyclopedia. Thanks, Chris. Yeah, which details this one, which was one of two SNES Smurf games that were only released in Europe. Which makes sense as well, because I feel like the Smurfs were a bigger deal here than they were elsewhere. Despite the cartoons definitely being like American dubbed. But like the Smurfs were, you know, done by... Because like the, the thing they've always said about The Simpsons, like early days of The Simpsons, they used to have the Happy Little Elves. And the Happy Little Elves were a piss take of the Smurfs because the creators of The Simpsons hated the Smurfs and wanted to have a show within the world of The Simpsons that says how bad the Smurfs is. The irony of that is that when The Simpsons started airing in 1989, the Smurfs were off the air. Whereas over here, I mean, the Smurfs stuck around. They were certainly on the BBC for a while. They were on there for ages, weren't they? But this game, you play as the well-known generic Smurf, and you're trying to rescue Jockey Smurf, Greedy Smurf, Brainy Smurf and Smurfette from the clutches of Gargamel, and it's a straightforward platformer. You collect sarsaparilla leaves for extra lives and raspberries to replenish your energy, and the back of the box is absolutely zero use in explaining the game to you, 
as apparently it tells you that you have to smurf the angry smurfs before smurfing the mountain by sled, then smurfing the maze of mine galleries, smurfing on the back of a stork, and finally smurf Gargamel. Good smurf. I, I think the credit, credit where credit's due, I think that's pretty good. It's smurfing smurfy, I can tell you that much smurf. I find it remarkable that we've got a SNES game here in 1994 based around the smurfs, really. I think it actually just shows you how they were still within our european pop culture i mean it's a belgium thing isn't it the uh the smurf so it kind of makes sense that it is got more of a european style because actually when you look at the smurfs cartoon series and you know the run of cartoon series they had as i said ended in 89 and they wouldn't really return again until the movie came out like but they were still just part of our pop culture 1996, we got the second SNES game that was Europe only. 96, man. Crikey. The Smurfs travel the world. <laughs> Do you reckon they were offering it up to like Sony and Sega for the Saturn and PlayStation? They were like, no, no thanks. Yeah, how would you feel about having some Smurfing Smurfs on your Smurf station? No, thanks. No, no, that's fine. We'll have our own terrible IPs that we kind of drive into the ground with generic platformers. Thank you very much. But I will say the sequel did actually adapt an idea from the TV show, the ninth and final season of the Smurfs TV show, which Scullion puts here was the point where many agreed that the show had finally smurfed the shark. Mm. I'm going to assume that smurfed means jumped because the alternative is quite weird. But the concept that it introduced was of a magic crystal that let them travel around the world. And that was used for the Smurfs Travel the World as you went to the jungles of South America, the North Pole, North America, the villages of Africa, the Australian outback, and a temple in Asia, all to find shards of the crystal so they can head back to their village and repair it. That is such a generic platform game, isn't it? Like, you, there are so many games from this period of time where it's like, and you go to X place in X world, you go to X place over here, X place to a jungle level, snow level, desert level, this, that, and the other. Yeah, that sounds incredibly generic. And by 1996, bloody hell. That's, that's some late era shovelware. Isn't it just? So please welcome our first challengers, Lee, Lewis Marie, and David Shomney. Write it down now. Right, Lee, we'll start with you. Before the show, we said to you, who's your favourite babe? And you said Emma. Now, who, who is Emma? It's just someone I know, and I ain't seen her. Nothing, it's just someone I know. You're not seeing it. She's not a girlfriend or not? No. Yes, she is. She is. Oh, she is a girlfriend. Yes, she is. Like your 12-year-old girlfriend. Shut up. That was, no, that was, that was a lie. That was a lie. Forget think, about it. That was an accident. He always that was with accident. his 12-year-old That was girl. an accident. Accident. She's about that tall. That was an accident. No, that ain't fair. That ain't fair. I don't think we need to do the challenge. I think we should just time you guys arguing. He said what? It was in the dark. How should I know? <laughs> okay. Are these our most awkward and cringy players that we've had thus far? on Games Master? I don't think so. I think there's certainly two that have made me laugh the most and also give quizzitive looks at the television because th this is interesting. We meet Lee Lewis-Marie and David Shomley. Before the show, Lee had been asked who his favourite babe was and he said, Emma. Now this is pre-Spice Girls, so he's not talking about one of them. And apparently it's just someone he knows. He ain't seeing her. She's not a girlfriend, Luke. She's not a girlfriend. No, she's not. No, she's just someone who keeps going to his doorstep. David's like, no, she is your girlfriend, mate. And he's like, oh, shut up, like your 12-year-old girlfriend. And that's when Dom just looks <laughs> at the camera and goes, my work here is done. This is television gold. And to be honest, he's right. This is great. He instantly just dives onto it. 
to to just be like he was like oh no she is your girlfriend oh well like that 12 year old you kissed and then like, the guy's like i cannot believe you just said that to me on tv and he's trying to defend himself he's like i didn't know i didn't know i didn't know it was dark she's only this tall you should have definitely known and dom's just like oh, I'm, we might just film you arguing to be honest we might as well just sack this challenge off dom is actually cackling yeah at this point i think david is like what he's 13 14 Something like that, yeah. It's awkward. It's not illegal, essentially, is what I took from this. Your mate's egg, like egging you on and taking the piss out of you, basically. Like he calls him a cradle snatcher. Oh, that one, that one made me proper guffaw. I'm just like, mate. Part of me almost feels like maybe this was rehearsed, but David didn't quite realize how bad it would actually sound when they got in front of the camera. I don't think this was rehearsed. This all feels too off the cuff. And it's and it's too awkward as well because like Dom doesn't really know what he's supposed to say next, and like it's uh, yeah when they have their fights later on, I think is when it gets proper awkward. Although Dom does kind of compose himself and comes with the great line of, "Well, David, you've got the younger girlfriend, so you can go first. That really made me laugh. You've had the Duff Toys, the Art House videos, and the Tragic Cartridge games, but now we've got Mighty Morphin Power Rangers on the Mega CD. It's a play-along and episode-type situation. When the spandex-clad heroes pull off their unfeasibly impressive moves, you must press the corresponding buttons prompted on the screen. Miss too many times, and you're allowed to stop playing. There's about three minutes of nine different episodes, including disputable classics like Day of the Dumpster, Food Fight and Foul Play in the Sky. Sounds like Arsenal. The game is released in January and Sega will be hoping that young fools everywhere will still be lapping this up and it might be a case of Mighty Morphin Passe Rangers. And that's a play on words. Well, it's time for Dom to hate on the Power Rangers a little bit more uh, for the Mega CD game, which is one of those games basically where like an action happens on screen, you press the action and it queues up the next bit of the episode for you to watch. I don't think this got great reviews when it came out because there's only so much you can do. There's like they don't even like like full episodes on the uh, on the disc or anything like that. It's like just small chunks of episodes, including the first F one. The thing that surprises me the most is that this wasn't out for Christmas. Yeah, it would have been a bit of shovelware to get out there, but there were clips from nine different episodes, and yeah, it's a quick time event. Before we even really had quick time events, that's what this was. It was kind of playing up to the Dragon's Lair trope. Exactly, and there were a buttload of these on the Mega CD. Yeah, there was a Kamen Rider one as well, actually. But we do get a great pun, which is Mighty Morphin Passe Rangers. I like how he even admits that's a play on words. Available only on Nintendo Ultra 64. Launched into arcades last week was what will be one of the biggest games of next year, Killer Instinct. From the people who brought you Donkey Kong Country, it's the second game for Nintendo's new arcade system, the Ultra 64. And it'll be hoping to give Virtua Fighters 2 a kicking for the first part of next year. Then, when autumn leaves drift by the window, Killer Instincts will be one of the launch games for the Ultra 64 home system, which Jimmy Nintendo claims will cost less than 200 notes. Jimmy Hill. But here's something that's a bit cool, something that we had teased to us at the end of that Donkey Kong Country Exposed video. Well, I say we had exposed, only the Americans had it uh, teased to them. Killer Instinct. Is it Killer Instinct or is it Killer Instinct? Oh, yeah, well... Killer Instinct. It's on the Ultra 64. It's going to give Virtua Fighters uh, to a bit of a kicking, and then it's going to launch on the Ultra 64 in the autumn. <clears throat> Let's break down what didn't happen. It's real funny, actually, because in episode one of series five, we get a bit of a preview of Killer Instinct on the SNES. Things that did happen. We got Killer Instinct for the SNES. We got Killer Instinct for the Game Boy. 
both of those came out in 1995. Things that didn't happen. We didn't get Killer Instinct for the Ultra 64. We didn't get Killer Instinct for the Nintendo 64. We never got Killer Instinct 1 on a Nintendo 64-bit console. We finally got Killer Instinct Gold, which was actually ported from the second Killer Instinct game. Yeah. Most importantly, the thing that didn't appear in 1995 was the Nintendo Ultra 64 itself. That didn't come out until 1996 in Japan, and we didn't get it until 1997. Yeah, we get it. Like, March 97, it finally arrives here in the UK. So here's Dominic Diamond saying, it might be here autumn 1995. Jimmy Hill indeed. But Killer Instinct does have some notable firsts. It was the first arcade game to actually use an internal hard disk drive, in addition to having ROM chips. There were a number of different systems out there, sometimes that would use kind of ROM chips combined with an optical storage medium, CD, Laserdisc, DVD and GD ROMs would happen as time went on. But yeah, this was the first game to use an actual internal hard drive, which allowed them to store way more data, stream way higher quality video, and just produce a game that was very, very polished in the arcade. Mm -hmm. It looked real smart in the arcade. I remember seeing this in the arcades. We talked about this before on the show. Uh, Seeing it in an arcade and being kind of blown away by it, how cool it looked. It was very clever how it did it, because obviously these are CGI pre-rendered sprites. Much as we saw in Rise of the Robots, but, you know... Better. Yeah. The backgrounds were movies. And as you moved around the background, as you moved back and forth along the plane that you fought on, the movie rewound and fast-forwarded it to, to kind of change the perspective of the background. I thought that was a very clever way of doing it, rather than just having a kind of a still 2D tile system. It makes it feel so cinematic as well. Really, really does. Like That's the, the big thing about Killer Instinct, is it feels incredibly cinematic. The way that the camera moves out, and it moves back in and everything like that, which is, you know, it's missing on the home console versions. But yeah, like, it was just, like, an absolutely incredible game. I will always be a Street Fighter kid, but... There was, a, some, there was something about Killer Instinct that really lured me towards it. I mean, when it did finally make its way home with the SNES version, it tried to be the arcade game, but the graphics were vastly reduced in quality and detail. The sprites were smaller. 3D panning stages, not happening. You had Mode 7 and you had a 2D background, and that's what you were, you were going to like it, Luke. That was all you were going to get. Uh, it's impressive that it's on the Game Boy, though. Yeah, it's amazing what they were actually able to get out of the Game Boy in its later era. It's much like some of the stuff you see being dragged out of the SNES now, which is way beyond the spec of the original console, or the NES even. It's amazing what time and optimization can bring to old hardware. Yeah, Rare were very good at their Game Boy conversions, because their Game Boy conversion of Donkey Kong Country, Donkey Kong Land, was also really, really good. Is it a bird? Is it a plane? No, it's a thick American bloke. What was it? What was it? What was it? Fortunately, he has a Timex Datalink watch that's saving the lives of parachutists all across America. It's a personal organiser on your wrist that reminds you of appointments, birthdays, telephone numbers, that kind of thing. This watch is saying, hello American bloke, your clothes are duff. The watch comes with database software for your PC. Simply select what info you want to download from your personal records, set your watch to the right mode, click and the info is downloaded. Sensors on the watch read the flashing bars, a beep signifies it's all sent. The watch stores up to 10 entries. Millions of American men claim the watch has even saved their marriages. Awesome, thank you. You know, for the first time I didn't forget my wedding anniversary, or my daughter's birthday, or to pick up my son after Little League practice on Tuesdays. (laughs) Get. And our final news feature is essentially here to tell us, Americans are bad at being dads. And also parachuting. 
Yeah, so we've got the, the Timex Datalink watch. What I loved about this is how this works, because you have a program on your machine that you put all of your inputs into and, you know, like your calendars and this, that and the other and all your reminders. And then you hold your watch up to the screen. The screen flashes bars and the watch reads those bars to transfer the data across. That's wicked. Yeah, it's kind of a cross between like semaphore and barcodes. There were lots of different Timex data link watches, and eventually you would just kind of get a dock or cable, something that would be much more familiar today. Yeah. But this original one was just like, nah, mate, flashing lights because we don't want to have to try and put a port onto a watch. Exactly. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's not like the Apple Watches of today. And there's basically that's what this is. It's like, you know, it's Apple Watch before the Apple Watch was a thing. I think it's a really, really cool bit of kit for 1994. We are seeing kind of a predecessor to what is now considered a fairly standard smartwatch, but this is essentially a digital file of facts. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It, you can't do a whole heck of a lot on there. It's basically just like, you know, diary entries, calendar reminders. And yeah, as you as you rightly pointed out, this is essentially a device that can help a businessman stop being a human being. It will help you remember anniversaries, birthdays, and the fact that you have a child you need to pick up from Little League practice. Yeah, this guy at the end, completely useless, really playing into that uh, awful stereotype of like, the husband never remembers anything. He's like, oh, I forgot my wife's uh, birthday, our anniversary, my daughter's birthday to pick up my kid from Little League. It's like, it's a, it's a bad look to give this man. But the device itself debuted in June of 1994. Bill Gates himself was the one to demonstrate it, where he basically entered a bunch of data on a computer, did the flashy screen thing, and then showed the audience, look, it's got all my appointments in it. And those early models had a 50 series, a 70 series, a 150 series, and a 150S. The S stood for small series. Mm. And those numbers were how many phone numbers it could hold. Because they say in this PC, you can only hold 10 entries in it. It's like early day MP3 players. You'd only get like 128K on it or something like that. So you could get 13 songs. Amazingly, the watches were certified by NASA for space travel, and they were used <laughs> by astronauts on shuttle missions. So they don't forget things. Like, oh, don't forget to close the airlock. 9am, take off. 10am, throw up a lot. 11am, <laughs> yeah. eat the chips that are floating around the spaceship. 12am, put in some product placement for M&Ms and Pepsi. Let's make a DNA strand out of M&Ms, Luke. What else are you going to use? computers that would be a stupid <laughs> option let's use candy i did my favorite thing about this though which i thought was a very cool news item is dominic diamond's line at the end to that guy where he's like i forgot my wife's anniversary and the birthday he just goes get right smurfing along with me on this challenge is simon byron from the one welcome simon hi dominic simon now uh, what type of smurf would you like to see um i've always thought this smurf's too cute so one which you pull its head off i think would be a headless smurf yes i always want to see a salmon rushdie smurf Excess, but you, you wouldn't really see it, would you? Very yeah. often. Um, any, can you give our challenges any tips for this, Simon? Yeah, it's a pretty difficult challenge, I think. With the, with the larvae constantly following them all the time, they've got to make good use of their bombs. They've got an infinite supply, so just a case of working out which way to go and uh, hoping for the best, I think. Simon is also in that 90s Gen X uh, of I hate anything that uh, the kids like, so he wants to pull heads off Smurfs. I mean, I kind of identify with that. They are really fucking annoying. Sorry, they're not great. They're really smurfing annoying. I'm going to save you on the beeps in this one. They're not great at the smurfs. I've never been into the smurfs. No, although Dom does go topical with his joke. Where he's like, I've always wanted to see a Salman Rushdie smurf. 
But the problem is you'd never see him, would you? Say the thing that is popular at the moment. Although you say that, the fatwa against Salman Rushdie is still in existence today. And apparently every Valentine's Day, he gets a card just reminding him that they're still intending to kill him. (laughs) So David is up first and he basically bollocks this up in 28 seconds because he jumps onto some of these falling blocks and isn't quick enough to get off them. So he just falls and is then trapped and he gets killed by the lava. Yeah, David has his head in his hands at the end of this one because he's like, oh, mate, I've been outed as having a 12-year-old girlfriend and now I've ballsed up a Smurfs game. A Smurfs game, a game made specifically for kids. There's no way he's getting off lightly when he gets back to school the following... Like, when he gets back to school after those Christmas holidays, there's no way he's getting off lightly with that. Lee is up next, and time is irrelevant, although Dom still uses the stopwatch just in case. He just has to complete the level. And, you know, it's pretty textbook, really. Gets up, he knows where to drop the presents, he knows which ones to explode, the quickest route to get round. He knows that he has to stand next to one of them and take a hit. But he just gets up there, does it in 41 seconds. It was very simple, economical playing. Yeah, I mean, he smurfs up some smurfs and takes a smurf of hit of smurf before smurfing through the smurf to win the smurf. Simple smurf. Simple smurf. Yeah, I suppose presents you've ever had, Simon. Um, I once got one of those dodgy uh, Playmobil figures off my auntie for Christmas, oh, yeah. and I pulled my eyes out all day. I used to have an auntie who used to give me Beano Annuals four years out of game. That's what I'm using the second answer. Meanwhile, on commentary, we're talking about old Beano Annuals, and I don't see that as being a bad thing because a Beano Annual is still a Beano Annual, Luke. It doesn't matter whether it's four years old, as long as you don't already have it. I used to reread old Beano annuals because I used to get the Dandy annual and my brother would get the Beano annual. My brother is six years older than I am. So he has got six years more worth of Beano annuals than I would have had of Dandy annuals. So I used to, and I had all of them lined up in my cupboard and stuff. And I used to read through the old ones. They were great. I always remember going to the village fake near my gram when I was like younger because I used to stay with her on a Saturday while my parents were working and it was before my siblings uh, came along. You would always get the kind of the bookstore and that would be full of old Beano and Blue Peter annuals. And there were, Blue, there were Beano and Blue Peter annuals there from like the 60s and the 70s. And I would always get a stack of them. And the weird thing is, like one, they were cheap because it was like a village fake bric-a-brac thing. But also I would always be bought them because there was this general thought of, well, he's reading. My parents and grandparents would very rarely do anything to dissuade me from reading, which mm. I always appreciated. Even if it meant sometimes I did get books before perhaps I should have read them like Red Dwarf, Better Than Life, Jaws, that kind of thing. I was not prepared for the sex scenes in Jaws, Luke. <laughs> Bad luck, David. Congratulations, Lee. Uh, we'll start with you first of all, David. Uh, you were going all right there. Then when, what went wrong? What caught you out there? I don't know. I don't know. You just, just went. I just, no, just shut up. I'll beat you up. I'll beat you up afterwards. Beat me up with what? Yes, I will. I will. It's, it's rubbish. Could, could, you beat each other up? could you beat each other up now? Get up! That was a bit pathetic, wasn't it? He's not going to be very scared of you now. Well, listen, bad luck, David. Uh, come on now, boys. Okay, I'll give you 50 lines each. Boys, right, listen, we've got to you, Lee. Um, was that any problem at all for you? No. Were you frightened at all? No, because I was playing it through the practice. Kick going through. So, I knew I was going to win, especially some idiot like him. And, and Lee, uh, a, a, final, a final message to Emma? Nothing, really. Um, just keep off my doorstep, you know what I mean? <laughs> So we get into our post-match here and (laughs) this is where I think it gets a little bit cringy because David has been shown up massively here. He has been shown up that he got off with a 12-year-old. 
which Lee has made fun of him for, he's then been shown up by being crap at a kid's game. So what does he do? He tries to beat up Lee and Dom just goes, well, that was a bit rubbish. Dom, to be fair, it's not like he tries to dissuade them. In fact, it's the opposite because David's just like, oh, I'll beat you up afterwards. And Dom's like, well, could you beat him up now while we got the cameras rolling? Yeah, and it's It's only a half-hearted attempt at a fight. He doesn't really lay into him. It is that kind of almost slightly matey scuttle. Oh, I don't know. Put it this way, if I was going to jump that guy, if I was David and I was going to jump Lee, particularly given how embarrassed I've been on screen, I wouldn't have kind of just jumped in with the one blow and then backed off. It's like you got him doubled over. You get the elbow in, mate. I was going to say, but the one that you want to get that one hit in, that like makes him go like, oh, like that release makes him make a noise. And it, it doesn't achieve anything. Mate, he's batting three for three on this. Oh, my, comes off looking even worse than he was doing already. And then like, and then Lee steals his hat. And I was like, yeah, this is, uh, this is quite cringe. And Lee's like, oh, I wasn't fussed about the challenge. I knew I was going to win, especially against some idiot like David. And then they start to tussle again. And Dom's like, hey, settle down, lads. You're going to get lines otherwise. Lee, do you have any final words for Emma? This was my favourite bit, is when he was just like, keep off my doorstep. Genuinely funny line. Dom breaks. Like, that was a really, really funny line. Lee comes out of this looking like a megastar. Poor old David comes off looking like an absolute tool. And you can tell how good that last line is, because even David, no matter how humiliated he's been, he busts a gut at that. He does, yeah. I feel bad for David. He has had a very humiliating day. Doesn't even get the bloody joystick either. Oh, I know. You'd have thought, like, he went on to Games Master, he thought it'd be a right laugh, and it's actually turned out to be, like, I can't imagine the embarrassment that he might have watching this back. I'm not sure I could watch it back. If I was in David's position, I don't think I could rewatch this at all. You know, we've talked to various people that have been on the show, some of which have had less than, like, kind of glowing experiences, but oh, David. Oh, David. David, David, David. 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 I bet you he wishes he'd been destroyed in New York. <laughs> First up, it's Rai Star. He's a star and he has a wry sense of humour, apparently. Part of the Sonic team were involved in the development of this game and it really shows. It looks very similar to Sonic. It also plays a lot like Sonic, which is a bit disappointing. We were really expecting something new. Basically, he's got these long arms that reach out and grab you and headbutt you like that. He doesn't move as fast as what Sonic actually did. Um, this isn't a bad thing, it's small. It gives you more time to actually go around and explore. You have to ask yourself, do I want another platform game? If you do, it's not a bad choice, but personally I think Dynamite Heady might be a better one to go for. My first comment to be made about Ristar, a game that I actually very much enjoy, is Frank O'Connor saying it plays a lot like Sonic. No, it fucking doesn't. What are you talking about, Frank? I'm amazed it didn't play more like Sonic, given that whilst the team behind it weren't apparently the team behind Sonic, they would go on to be part of Sonic Team. It gets a bit confusing with the branding, but essentially they would go on to make Knights. Yeah, exactly. So this was kind of in that Sonic 3, Sonic & Knuckles mould where Sega had created these teams to create new and inventive games for the Mega Drive that you could then use to like sort of show off the powers and show off some creativity and stuff like that. We got Sonic and 3, Sonic and Knuckles, Comic Zone, and Ristar. Yeah, I just, I, I can't believe the pair of them just looking at it like, yeah, it's a lot like Sonic this. I'm like, outside of the fact that it's on Sega, it really isn't like Sonic at all. I mean, retroactively in the past, I can see why it's associated more with Sonic. 
not only did the programmers go on to become part of Sonic Team, but it's been included in Sonic and Sonic Team themed compilations. So they they've retconned it into the kind of like the Sonic continuity thing. I think they're harsh on this. I think they're 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 a, they're a little bit too harsh on it, and I think it deserves a slightly better score than the one it actually gets. Yeah, I think 73% is incredibly harsh on Rystar. I, I agree with what Tim had to say to a degree, which is that if you do want to get a platformer, you should get Dynamite Heady. Maybe, yeah, I think Dynamite Heady is a better platformer than Rystar, but I think if you do get Rystar and you got it for Christmas or anything like that, you wouldn't have done terribly with it. It's not Rise of the Robots. It's not Rise of the Robots. A friend of mine actually had it, who uh, basically had every Mega Drive game, it seems to be, because he was also the one that had Mega Bomberman. I, uh, I I got a bit of a kick out of playing Rise Star. It's really good. It's, it's, a, it's a fun and different way of playing it, particularly with like the stretching out arms and the headbutting thing and working out how to use that to beat the bosses. Yeah, I think they're incredibly harsh on Rise Star here. But not as harsh as they are on this arcade classic. Next up, Mr. Sega has furnished his spanky new 32X with a 2,000-year-old arcade game, Afterburner. It's not often people complain about arcade-perfect conversions, and um, Afterburner is arcade-perfect. It looks exactly like the original arcade game. However, the original arcade game had a giant hydraulic cabinet and was more of a fairground ride than a video game. Can't really do much. Uh, it's very limited gameplay. Um, you can do barrel rolls and stuff like that, but at the end of the day, I'd rather have a more complicated and uh, strategic shoot-em-up than Afterburner on my 32X. Why are they bringing out uh, Afterburner and, and another game, Space Harrier? Uh, these are old arcade games, and okay, they were admittedly fun in their heyday, but now they, they, they've just got nothing. Yeah, we talked about this when it was in the news that you know the 32X was getting these arcade re-releases of Afterburner and, and things like that and Space Harrier. And it is just, you know, like Frank O'Connor has the best line about this, which is like, yeah, it's an arcade perfect game, but the arcade put you in this hydraulic cabinet that was also moving around. You don't get that when you're at home playing this on a 32X. So it's really not that great and it's not that special. Adrian was just like, I can't believe they've released this. And I agree with him. This is what we were saying with the 32X when we had it in the news a few weeks back. And it's so weird because today, depending on the price point, arcade perfect versions of Afterburner, of Space Harrier, released as downloadable titles, was part of a collection. They will be welcomed because now it's got nostalgia. But even Afterburner that we see reviewed here, Afterburner 2 came out for the Saturn the next year and was much better. Yeah, I think this is not a way to sell 32X machines, or 32X add-ons, I should say. It's not the best advert for it. Unfortunately, it's one of the only adverts they've currently got. Tim does say that you can do a barrel roll, though, which made me laugh, because do a barrel roll. I'm trying to think of a positive to say about this. Um, do a barrel roll, I guess. Predates Star Fox 64, though. It does, yeah. 66%. Yeesh. Finally, another game conversion of a stupidly titled kids' TV show, Biker Mice from Mars. It does look extremely smart. It's a nice view, nice perspective, lots of nice colours, and it whizzes along at a fair old pace. Biker Mice is basically, you know, rock and roll racing. It looks the same, it plays the same. Um, there are a couple of differences, though. You can just basically freeze your opponents, drive past them, go into the lead or cause an earthquake which slows them down loads and you're not affected. It can get tedious after a while, but the two-player mode adds to the fun. It's nice, but it's not amazing. And it's another thing that the kids are into, so Dominic Diamond hates it, Biker Mice from Mars. I absolutely loved Biker Mice from Mars when I was a kid. And this period of time, in fact, actually, I was massive into Biker Mice from Mars. I had a Biker Mice from Mars alarm clock. That's, and it's, it's, the alarm tone was, Helmet's on, it's time to rock and ride. 
like that. And I absolutely loved that clock. I loved the TV show. And this game is all right. As they say in this review, it's rock and roll racing, really. Yeah, just not quite as good. It doesn't have the cool rock and roll music for start. No. 72%, nice but not amazing, is a fair assumption, I think. Yeah, I agree. One thing I wanted to mention on Biker Mice from Mars just before we wrap things up is during the interviews and stuff I was doing for the book, I interviewed someone who worked at Sega talking about the Sonic the Hedgehog movie that did not come out in 1995 as they had sort of planned to do. 95, 96 was sort of the aiming they were looking to get this done. And I was chatting with her and during the interview phase, she mentioned some of the other shows that she worked on and she mentioned Biker Mice from Mars. And so I told her the story that I had about that alarm clock and how, you know, it used to go off and I couldn't change the alarm clock settings on it. So it used to just go off at random times and you'd have to get up and like turn it off. So sometimes it'd go off at like half past three in the morning. And she thought this was really funny. And, you know, we just chatting away and stuff and that was it. I then got an email from her a few days later that just said, I was thinking about your Biker Mice from Mars story and I told it to the show's creator. Do you want me to introduce you? I was like, oh my God, that'd be amazing. And then I got an email from her like a few hours later being like, Luke, please meet Rick Ugner, the creator of Biker Mice from Mars. I'm sure he'll have a great conversation. And we did. And I emailed him back and forth a couple of times, told him the story. It was just really lovely. That is genuinely heartwarming. (laughs) Yeah. I love it when stuff like that happens, when you unexpectedly get introduced to people that had kind of like such a, I guess, an impact on you at an early time. Because I had a similar moment with one of my early Gallifrey conventions when uh, in the dealer's room, there was a guy selling a bunch of scripts that were signed. I didn't realise at first he was the person that wrote them. Because like at conventions and stuff, seeing people selling scripts is not unusual. Like I think we've talked about it in the past and I've got somewhere a box with a bunch of unused Friday the 13th and Freddy versus Jason scripts and all that kind of stuff in it. But it was David Gerald. And so I actually bought some of the real Ghostbusters scripts that he wrote and they're signed by him. And that was just this real moment of like, dude, you do not understand, or maybe you do, how much of a big influence your work was on my life. It was a, it's, so I'm really glad you got to have that with Biker Mice from Mars and such a weird way to do it. That's cool, dude. Yeah, it, it just sort of came out of nowhere. So screw you, Dom. I thought it was a great show. But rock and roll racing is a better way to play this game. Uh, absolutely it is. Those people who like to do their own reviews can try their hand at the latest game line game, Lion King. To download a demo of this PC game, connect your modem to 081 Apart from the cost of the call to London, the service is free, but remember to get permission from the bloke who pays the bills. Oh look Luke, it's the Lion King. It certainly is you can download a demo for it now through the game line, which is pretty cool. It's the PC version. So I like that we're getting this as a weekly thing. It's not going to be here with us come Series 5. This is a very short-term thing. But what I've enjoyed about Series 4 is them embracing online culture and trying these new different things to make Games Master more than just a TV show. Once I started to get into PC gaming, once we got that Pentium computer in the house, buying PC gaming-related magazines very much stopped being about any kind of magazine brand loyalty and did become more about what demos are on the cover disc or cover CD? Yeah. So some months it would be PC format, some months it would be PC zone, some months it would be PC gamer. It would all depend on who had what demos. As if we didn't already spend enough time gazing vacantly at our TVs, technology is on the way that'll turn the average family of the future into hopeless addicts. Good morning. Morning, Justin. Morning, Dad. Hey, I thought we said no video games before school. Dad, I'm downloading something from the Library of Congress. Don't lie, Yankee kid. 
Hey, Justin, would you check on the status of United Flight 111 for me? And while you're at it, check the weather in Miami. Do it yourself, Bird. Yes, interactive TV is on the way, an emerging technology that'll transform our TVs from passive consumer durables churning out sitcoms into indispensable gateways to that much-touted high-tech nirvana, the information superhighway. A number of systems are testing now, some of them even have their own virtually fit assistant to guide you through the mayhem. Please identify yourself. Oracle is one of the flashier systems being developed in the States. Hello, Larry. You look great today. You have four messages and you have three reminders. Your customized news has been updated in the last hour. ABC, CBS, CNN, personalized, or choose more. Choice is what it's all about. No longer enslaved by the TV schedule, any movie that takes your fancy will be on your screen in seconds. You have selected action movies. Please choose from star, director, decade, or ratings. Fearing punters might be so enamored with the new interactive TVs they forgot to eat, designers have thoughtfully ensured nutritional sustenance is a button away. Hi, this is Bruce from Meaty's Pizza. First, you need to select a pizza size. Okay. Pizza sniffers can even shop from their seat. In department stores, you have a choice of Macy's, Saks Fifth Avenue, Emporium, Neiman Marcus, or select more. With every whim from a Chinese takeaway to an impromptu business meeting instantly indulged, the computing power required by interactive TV systems is formidable. BT are testing a system which uses relatively modern phone lines, but if widespread interactive TV proves impossible without new cable, it'll still take years to lay the thousands of miles required. However, if the arrival time of these new TV systems is uncertain, there's no doubt that by the turn of the century, the interactive TV will be the most powerful info and entertainment tool we possess. Our social life will crumble, we will end up with no mates, but we will have our all-singing, all-dancing interactive telly. This feature is one of those, look what the future holds, children. And it doesn't really become the future that they think it is, but it is very much like companies coming together to be like, this is the future of shopping, this is the future of entertainment, this is the future of food delivery, and this and the other. And the world that we're living in now in 2021 isn't too dissimilar to what they're showing here. It's just less uh, cheesy, cheesy, a TV sci-fi movie version of what the future looks like in Bucky O'Hare is. Uh, this gave me real Robocop or Starship Troopers vibes. It's like, would you like to know more? That's exactly what it is. Yeah, it's like a sci-fi movie is set in the future. It's like, well, what does TV look like? Well, TV will look like this. And, you know, it is this woman being on TV being like, what would you like to do today? You have four messages. Would you like to go to the mall? And then you're sort of buying things online. Like, we do have this stuff. It's just not presented to us in this cheesy format. It's unplugged at the moment because I just don't have any use for it. But pretty much everything that they demonstrate in this video could be done on this. Yeah. This little Amazon Alexa doohickey. Although you don't get a screen, but you can go, Alexa, can you give me flight details? Alexa, can you get me this information from the Library of Congress? Alexa, what's the weather like in Miami? Yeah. Also, apologies to anyone that is listening to this on a speaker, especially if it's a smart speaker, because she could get real confusing. Oh, yeah. Do apologize for that. Alexa, burn the house down. That's <laughs> yeah. worth a try. We do get some, like, you know, I, there's a couple of glimpses in here of Sonic the Hedgehog, the animated show. We also get to see some uh, the, a Sylvester Stallone lineup of movies of Rocky, Cliffhanger, Rocky 3, and Demolition Man. I love the pizza ordering bit, though, where it's literally you walk into a pizzeria and there's a guy like tossing pizzas around and talking about the order that you've made. 
it's a fun idea of what they're trying to present. I just love the pizza place. It's kind of it. It's that idea of like, hey, welcome to Tony's. <laughs> but they mention Oracle here, and it, it's Oracle. It's Oracle that are the people behind databases and stuff like that, because the Oracle Interactive Television, it's not so much a brand as it is a platform. Much like with a lot of independent wrestling promotions, is you know that they won't necessarily, they will all have their own branded streaming service, but that streaming service will all be using someone else's infrastructure. Or Amazon. Amazon Prime is a good example because there are a lot of video on demand channels that use Amazon Prime's backend. So really, that's kind of what Oracle are selling here is they're trying to kind of sell it to providers. And in fact, I think it was like British Telecom were the ones developing it over here. And as Dom says at the end, you know, how quickly this gets adapted will depend on how well it can work over traditional copper telephone lines. And the answer is it doesn't. No, I mean, here we are 2021. They're still relaying some of those cables and stuff to make sure that everyone gets high-speed internet. We're reaching a point where they're relaying those cables, even though 5G is just around the corner. In fact, it's here in a lot of places and you can get better synchronous speeds on 5G than you can over copper or even some cases fibre to doorstep. My problem is though that 5G is going to make me go and like smash up some buildings or something. 5G is controlling your mind, man. See, what will make you go and smash up the buildings is when your phone says you've got four bars of 5G service, but you can't even get to Google. I'm looking at you, Stratford. (laughs) Every time I come through Stratford Station, when we were recording in person, I had to drop my phone to 3G because 4G, it was just so saturated, I couldn't even send a text message. Well, let's get into our celebrity challenge. What are we playing, Games Master? I hope my contestant fingers are feeling nimble. Because my next challenge is on the arcade button basher, Newman Athletics. Players must compete in three events. The frantic 100-meter dash, the strenuous train push, and the rigorous rock-breaking race. Whoever wins two of these exhausting events will take the golden joystick. This is a bit funky, isn't it? This is a bit funky, isn't it? This is like fun little mini games and things like that that you could definitely play with your mates over a couple of beers down to the arcade. I feel like we haven't had like a big arcade challenge in a while. Have you looked up much detail about this game? I haven't. This is actually like pretty much my only exposure to this is through Games Master. Who do you think made this game? I honestly don't even have an idea of who would have made this game. Looking at this style of kind of like arcadey futuristic sports game though, and given some of the other challenges we've had, I'd have gone SNK. I would have gone with either them or Data East. It was neither. It was Namco. Okay, I mean, that. yeah, that's, that's also unsurprising. Consider at this point, Namco are also bringing out Tekken. I mean, this was a 93 game, but there was a second one in 94 as well. So they were still shoveling this along. But you've got Namco titles coming out that look like this. That is, it's a very nicely animated, very well detailed 2D game. Meanwhile, Tekken. It's a very realistic fighting game. And fully 3D. When this came out in Japan in 1993, it did gangbusters. This game was huge. And when it got reviewed, it, it got very highly praised because by taking the kind of tired trope of the athletics game and giving it a futuristic slant, it stood out. 
And also it's a case of, oh, okay, what's the next challenge? Oh, 100 meter dash. Okay, fair enough. What's the next challenge? I'm stopping a bullet train. Yeah, you're stopping the bullet train and then pushing it back the furthest. I love that mechanic. That's a really, really fun mechanic. Yeah. I want to play this game now because this game looks like a lot of fun, although this needs to be a multiplayer. This needs to be a couple of people crowded around a machine, be it a home console, a Raspberry Pi, running it under emulation. This game looks like it would be a lot of fun to have some mates and do winner stays on. That's exactly it, yeah. That's what I mentioned, you know, crowding around this, you know, going out for a couple of beers or something with this in the arcade, because it kind of reminds me a little bit of like Point Blank in that sense. Point Blank is a great game to play on your own, but it's way more fun to be playing it with other people. So please welcome the greatest quarter miler in British track history and the young man set to carry on that baton, Roger Black and Dwayne Ledejo. Okay, now, Roger, we're in the course season just now. What sort of things do you get up to? Not a lot. Plenty of relaxation, plenty of junk food, just enjoying ourselves, you know, well-earned rest. Yeah. And I suppose this last season, I mean, for you, it was relatively injury-free for a change. It was very injury-free. It was a good one, very pleased, but uh, this guy had a slightly better one. You certainly did. It was um, a dream season for you, Dwayne, yeah? It was indeed. Um, I couldn't have asked for anything better. Yeah. And what, what are your hopes then for the future, Dwayne? Well, get myself ready for next year, for the World Championships and um, obviously the Olympic Games. Now, finally, uh, I know this is actually a little bit embarrassing, but when Linford and Colin won, I did get them to wave to my mum, who is the biggest athletic fan in the world. Great. If you don't mind, guys, just give them a quick little wave to my mum, Paula. Hello, Hi, Paula. Paula. Hi. That is brilliant. This is something we're going to see basically for the rest of season four now, for our final three episodes that we have got, which is Dom has massive respect for the people that are coming onto the show. This isn't just like they're coming on to promote something. They're not just here to because their management have made them come on. These are people that Dominic genuinely respects, genuinely likes. And he doesn't have his Dominic Diamond style that we've seen throughout Series 4, which is just like, celebrity comes on, Dom makes a joke about the thing that they're doing, and then tries to dunk on someone else. These are athletes that he really, really respects. So he just comes on and just does a straight interview with them. The one other thing that you can take away from this is Dom really does love his mum. Re- oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, that's what we said about um, with Linford Christie back in series two, which they make reference to here. When Linford Christie was on this show, I got them to wave to my mum and it was the best birthday present. that you know. And I got a great birthday present off the back of it. And there's any you know, making jokes about that. I, I guess it's because his mum is really into her athletics. And also via her talent school, very important to the show and to Dom in general as well. Exactly. But yeah, we've got Roger Black and Dwayne Ladagio. It's the old gen meets the new gen. Feels kind of appropriate for this era of Games Master as well, where we do have the old gen and the new gen. Roger Black, incredibly decorated, winning silver medals in the 400 meter sprint. He won them at the Olympic Games, the World Championships. He won gold medals at the European Championships. Also won gold medals for relay at both the World and European Championships. And then went on to the storied career of television presenter, and motivational speaker. He did well out of it and he's still doing well today. And he comes across really well in this interview, particularly when he says what we all want to hear is that during the off season, they just do bugger all and eat junk food. And I'm like, rock on, I can relate to this guy now because that's what I do in the off season and the on season. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And like, you know, even at the end of this spoilers, when he doesn't win, like he is there to like, you know, put over the new generation and be like, I'm, he is genuinely 
happy that Dwayne wins this. Yeah, there was only one slightly awkward moment when interviewing him, which is when Dom says, oh, the last season was pretty good for you. And hey, no injuries. He's like, yeah, yeah thanks. Thanks. Thanks, Dom. It was pretty good. But hey, again, putting over Dwayne, it was even better for this guy. Exactly. Yeah, he's here to like, you said this is old meets new, and this is old passing the torch to the new, which you absolutely love to see. Now, Dwayne retired from athletics, but did make an appearance that tied into another show that we featured as part of Under Consultation Extra and indeed as various guests on this show, he appeared on Gladiators. Did he? Oh, like another like celebrity special thing? No, he was a gladiator. Oh, wow. Known as Predator. Crikey, that's a cool ass name as well. Unfortunately, it was the Sky One reboot. So oh, that'd be why I don't know what it is then. Do you want to know what his entrance theme was? Because they had entrance themes on that Sky One reboot as well. No, what did he use? Enter Sandman by Metallica. That's cool. But the problem is, I'm just picturing it and I'm just thinking of him coming down through the crowd, cracking open beers, because when I hear Enter Sandman as an entrance theme, that's what I think. That's what you want from it. Okay, while I get ready for the biggest birthday present of my life, we'll take a quick break. This Christmas at Debenhams, you'll find gifts in silver and gold, glass and brass, taffeta and lace, porcelain and paper. Family gifts at affordable prices. At Christmas, the difference is Debenhams. If you're going on holiday, you should be going to a place that'll give you something more lavish for your lira. What about a place that'll get you somewhere more palatial for your peseta? If this sounds like your kind of place, you should be going places. You'll get more holiday for your money. So, with our fantastic discounts, shouldn't you be going places with going places? Like the mother of any normal family, Mrs. Mortis worried about feeding them the same old things. But then bachelors gave her a helping hand with super noodles. Twisty noodles in a mouth-watering chicken flavor sauce. It was so uncannily tasty, the family insisted she put her feet up. Super noodles, another helping hand from bachelors. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. 
That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Not all the chefs at Burger King make the grade. We had this boy down from Brooklyn named Larry. He just didn't want to flame grill those Whoppers. No. Yes. Can't. Can. Shan't. Shall. Won't. Will. Frying. Grilling. It was a big problem. Barbecue. Water. Bonfire. Ice. Box. We flame grill our Whoppers. That's what makes them taste great. Want the great taste of a flame grilled Whopper? You got to change to Burger King. You got it? Burning fires of hell. I see blue waters of Lake Superior. It's on its way. Maybe to your home. A new arrival. A new Andrex. A more squeezable Andrex. Because it's a softer, thicker Andrex. Squeeze it and you'll see. New Andrex is strong, long and now squeezably soft. I can't stand the quiet! A bookworm and a bad boy. He's escaped. Looking for their on-the-run ex-baseball pro political activist father. Things could get weird. She slapped me. Who slapped you? Delina. Why do women exist? I think you should know about my husband. He's psychotic. There's only trouble and desire. Trouble and desire? A bewildering odyssey for simple men. The film on full premiere next Tuesday at 10. Welcome back. We are very lucky to have as guests on today's show Britain's two greatest 400 meter runners, Roger Black and Dwayne Ledejo. They're about to play Newman Athletics. Helping me out at trackside is Amiga Action's Brad Burton. Welcome, Brad. Hi, Mum. Now, Brad, any tips for Roger and Dwayne? Well, what they're going to have to do here, Dominic, is get the rhythm right. When it comes down to tapping the buttons, right, they've got to tap the speed up and then they've got to press the other button to do whatever the action is be it jumping or be it stopping the train. You'll see that. It'll all, it, 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 Yes, we'll get it in the end. Okay, so we're looking for a couple of pairs of strong wrists here. We said quite a bit about Brad Burton on this show um, throughout Series 4, and we felt that he was almost like getting worse the, the more that this day of taping went on. And here, he just can't get his words out. And again, like we were talking last week with Dave Perry, you get one take at this. He can't get his words out, and Dom's just like, yep, we get it, let's move on. Yeah, he starts strong, he does lose it towards the end, and you just go, I don't, I don't know what I'm saying. Yeah, Sorry, don't know what, don't know what to do. And then it's like he was looking for them to say cut and, you know, start again. But Dom's just like, nope, one and done. Let's move on. But what is lovely to see is, man, Games Master are getting their money's worth out of that super gun. Yes, they are. I suppose unless it's got speciality hardware, the days of seeing upright cabinets on Games Master are numbered. Like, I know we see it for a number of the light gun challenges, but this is the standard now for a lot of these arcade and Neo Geo type games. But they've got their metal box controllers. Which is kind of like, it's cool in a technology sense, but I will miss seeing the upright cabinets properly there, like what we had for Primal Rage and things like that. But like when it comes to this 100 meter dash, Roger, boff, off the gates, just absolutely storms ahead of this. But Dwayne makes this incredible comeback right at the end. And only just does Roger get the win here. Yeah, and Brad does get a great line here saying... But the thing is, what's happened here, they've been bitten by a radioactive limpid crystal. I think that was what the, uh, where they got the power from there. <laughs> that got a good laugh out of me. That was good. That was a really good line. 
And then we get my favorite of these challenges, which is the bullet train one we mentioned earlier. This bullet train comes on, like crashes into you and you stop it. And then you mash in the buttons as it's pushing you back. So you then throw it forward. Now you do need 55 meters to qualify and neither of them get that. But Dwayne gets the furthest with 45.74. Yeah, basically he fails the least. Yes, exactly. Uh, And Roger gets 44.54. As we get to the final round, Brad brilliantly actually says, if you've played Mortal Kombat, you know what this round is. It's it's the wood-breaking challenge from Mortal Kombat, so you just need to. The rocks come down, you get into the rhythm, you smash the blocks, and you get the most of these. And it's close. It's really close with this, because of course it's going to be, but Dwayne just gets the lead. He has like a one-hit lead and then increase that to a two-hit lead. So Roger's always on the back foot and that gives Dwayne the big win. See, all these games are button mashers, really. Where I think the difference maker is, and you can see it when you see the clips of them playing, is Roger is button mashing kind of like with a fair amount of travel of his fingers. Dwayne has kind of got kind of crab hands and he's just tap, 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 tap. He's got a lot less travel. He's basically not even really lifting his fingers off the buttons. He's just letting them come up enough that they click. It's, it's a smart tactic. It's one he clearly picked up on quickly and realized that one, it probably hurt less. And two, it got him more success. Uh, one thing I do want to say about these challenges, because it's not really made clear, is each challenge actually takes place in a different part of the world. Uh, the race was in America. The train stop and pushback, unsurprisingly, was in Japan. And this last one, the block smash, was in Australia. Nice little bit of detail. Yeah, it was part of kind of like the Newman idea of like kind of this being a world championships. It's like, well, sod it. Let's set the events all around the world. Okay, okay now, Roger, you got a great start. Great start. Won the 100 metres. Mm-hmm. Which was, that was the important one. Which was the only true athletics exactly, one in there. Exactly. But after that, uh, he came through in the end, you know. It was, but it was very, all of them were very, very close, though. Very close. So, I mean, we practiced before and they were close before then. Yeah. Well. He's and got faster fingers. And you finally did it on that on that rock chopping. Well, that rock chopping, yes, yeah, a little bit of karate in there. But no, no sprained fingers of that. We're not going to get. No, right, no, no. Yeah. I think, yeah. Sued for millions we'll of pounds. Oh, outside. <laughs> to check us out, <laughs> And we get more of this like series two Dominic Diamonds interview here because again he's taking it very not seriously, but he's like very good natured about the whole thing. They talk about you know they were practicing all through the day and they were very close during the day. Dominic doesn't make fun of anything to do with any of this, and it's quite nice it's actually quite refreshing for series four yeah it's just it's just all very nice and friendly and you know they both agree that it was very very close and dom is also very thankful because no sprained fingers so no lawsuits i i I very much enjoyed that as a challenge i thought that the celebs were great i thought that the challenge itself was a lot of fun i thought dominic was really good brad was very good that was a really really solid challenge absolutely greetings the flames are on welcome one and all to cooking with games master Who's first for a tender grilling? Games Master, I look up to you very much. I'd like you even more if you could help me out. Are there any secret tracks and street races on the SNES? Get ready to burn the rubber, as you young people say. Because, yes, there are a number of secret tracks giving even more of your money. On the option screen, put the cursor on Custom Cup. Then press L, R, L, R, X, Y. This will give you four extra tracks to exhaust yourself on. I always supply the best gear. Thanks very much. I'll treasure that always. Just love seeing Street Racer on this show. Yeah, I mean, get ready to burn rubber indeed. And I just keep going back in my head to the cooking with Games Master. How would he hold a whisk, Luke? Uh, It's mental telepathy. Mental telepathy. 
Yes, yes, as opposed to unmental telepathy. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, isn't that just telepathy? Yeah. Uh, maybe he's doing it with Auntie Marisha. That's actually what Auntie Marisha's gone off to do. I liked uh, Games Master's final line here. It was like, I always supply the best gear. The Pusher Man. I've heard that you can get a super gun on Death Mask on the Amiga. How interesting. I suppose you want to know where to find it. On the prison level, after collecting the key, open the door at the end of the first corridor. Destroy the robot that blocks your way, and just over to the right, you will notice two skulls on the floor. Push the wall between the skull to uncover a secret room filled with power-ups and a super big gun. This should put the Frighteners up any would-be attackers. Cheers, Games Master. See you later. Here's a game we actually haven't had featured on this show thus far. Death Mask on the Amiga, a Doom clone, but a very cool-looking Doom clone in a way. Um, and it's basically about how you get the the cool-looking chain gun or the super gun. It is amazing we get a game like this running on the Amiga because consider this, that we've got Doom running on, and I know you don't do PC specs, but just the numbers will tell this one. Mm-hmm. So we saw Doom running in the Christmas episode or being advertised as being run on a 100 megahertz Pentium with a 1,000 megabyte hard drive 64 meg of RAM and, you know, SVGA, so lots of colours. Here we have an Amiga Doom clone, which is 7 megahertz processing speed, 16 colours and 1 megabyte of memory. The fact it can do this is fucking mind-blowing, really. I wonder if anyone actually tried, and they must have ported Doom to the Amiga at this point. I mean, it's been ported to a bloody cash machine, so I'd imagine it's probably on the Amiga at some point. It's been ported multiple, multiple times. The earliest ports actually happened around 1998. Mm. Unusually, not only did this game run on Amiga, it ran split screen on an Amiga, which was impressive to see for the multiplayer. That's really cool. Games Master, are there any fatalities on balls on the Mega Drive? No, but after defeating your opponent, try pressing A four times to see the winner's special after Stomp move. Each character does something different. They all require a lot of balls. I hope I haven't shattered your illusions. Okay, thanks, Games Master. Uh, overall, that's sort of like a consultation zone. This felt very complete. This didn't feel like an afterthought, as the consultation zone often has in Series 4. Yeah, and we've still got that bit where the kid will ask one question and the Games Master won't necessarily answer the question, but we'll go, well, no, that doesn't actually happen. But we can offer you this. We can do this. Yeah, which I think is quite nice. A little bit of world building. Many blogs heralded The Seventh Guest as the future of video gaming when it was released over a year ago. It features spooky adventure shenanigans with gorgeous graphics. Ahoy! 11th Hour, the sequel again takes place in a gorgeously rendered but pant-changingly scary house with its selection of iffy inhabitants. Every breath I take is influenced by that night. That house is not what it appears to be. How about a chuck roast? A chuck steak. The plot of 11th Hour on the surface is the story of Carl Denning, gone off to look for his lover and his producer, Rob Morales, who's gone to research an old haunted house. You're Carl Denning, you're the reporter. And as you play 11th Hour, it's more like being involved in a movie that you have control of. Help me, please. I can't get out. And as with Seventh Guest, impeding your path are crystal maze-type puzzles which must be conquered if you're to reach your damsel in distress. Oh dear, it's the Mad Bird again. No live humans were actually harmed in the making of this. The producers have used the old film against the blue screen, then key the action onto a computer background routine. Never fails. I have a rule about people I work with. Oh, 
you know, don't get involved. Go on, mate, she is very fit. It really rises above uh, a lot of what's been done in the past. Uh, I think there's a lot of substance here, and that's what we've tried to accomplish. I think we have. Indeed, 11th Hour is likely to induce a spontaneous national outbreak of pant changing once more when it's released on PC soon. Crazy people, psychological terror, fear that goes beyond childish imagination into adult terror. Don't do it. And we've got no final challenge, which is the standard for the final three episodes that we've got here. Instead, it's just a feature on 11th Hour, the sequel to 7th Guest. As I've written here, it's bad acting on a blue screen. However... These games were really cool. They're really cool. I mean, they are still kind of cool. You can play them on Steam and a couple of different platforms in a couple of different ways. You can also just play kind of abandoned where emulated versions if you don't want to spend the couple of quid that they go for. And yeah, sequel to The Seventh Guest. Interestingly, they announced they were going to release this in October 93 before they'd actually finished and released Seventh Guest. It ended up quite late to the market. Very late, actually. Mm. It got released in December of 1995. So a full year after we saw this feature bloody hell that is very late isn't it but luke guess what what's that ash a 3do port was planned did it come out no it was originally announced for may 1994 and then after the game was pushed back it was pushed back to march 1995 and then it was cancelled i think probably by that point they were like i don't think anyone's actually gonna buy this 3do thing there's really no point us putting it on there but yeah as mentioned you can still play it today it's available on goodoldgames.com and also re-released on Steam in collaboration between Trilobite and Night Dive Studios. Now, if you do like your remastered classic games, you will be familiar with the name Night Dive Studios. They are making quite a market for themselves, bringing back and polishing up old games. And I appreciate the work they're doing. Mm. And whilst it does definitely look quite mature in this feature, like, you know, there's blood, there's guts, there's spookiness, they originally wanted it to be way more adult. The original script had proper hard-R sex scenes in it. Bit unnecessary. Yeah, and there was actually a rumour going around for a while that an uncut version existed, and I imagine some people were like, oh, and there's a cheat code to get it. I guarantee you it would have been. That would have been in like some magazine or something. Oh, my, my mate has heard that there's a cheat code that you can do on this. Is that true? Yeah, but the game's makers actually did come out and say, look, you know, they were planned. We never actually filmed them. Yeah. And while we do see a lot of use of blue screen here, they did actually go and film on location and on sets. We do see quite a few physical location shots during this little making of video. And the acting on the physical on set or on location shots actually looks okay. It is just the blue screen acting that is very much acting. Yeah, we're in early doors of blue screen acting and it's harder to do because you got nothing to act against you don't know what your surroundings are you don't really know what sort of performance you're going to get it's why i mean aside from the obvious all of the performances in the first three star wars movies the the prequel trilogy are so stilted because because you don't really know what this looks like you don't really know what the world looks like and so you're just sort of doing the best you can and as you say you end up with acting But we do get a shot of a talking head who I'm assuming is one of the people involved in the making of the game that's just like, "Mm, there's a lot of substance here. And I'm like, well, kind of Hollywood in the mid-90s, there's probably a lot of substances there. Might explain some of the acting. And the game's master backroom. Pant changing will occur, Luke. Pant changing will occur. We're finished there for today. I'm off to check that every school teacher has halitosis. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. I didn't have any teachers with bad breath, so this has never really been a... I know it's always a joke to do that, you know, 
teachers have bad breath and things like that. Mine never did. Either that or they never got that close to my face for me to find out. One of my maths teachers definitely did. Oh, yeah? Yeah, real dog food breath. But I think that's going to wrap it up for this episode. Uh, Ash, we are so close now to the end of Series 4. Uh, this is our final episode of 1994 as well. Next week, we're in the hollowed, untouched ground of 1995. But what did you make of it? I really enjoyed this episode. I had a lot of fun with it. The first challenge was shit, but highly entertaining for all the wrong reasons. The celeb challenge, highly entertaining for all the right reasons feature was was fine okay it's kind of a cool era when fmv games were the thing consultation zone as you said it was a nice little coherent piece that was put together news and reviews also fine and dandy like sour candy it was a nice stable episode yeah not exceptional but at no point did anything feel kind of off no or second rate nothing ever felt second rate yeah, this is one of the better episodes we've had in a while, I, I feel, with Series 4. Uh, and that's because like, it doesn't feel mishmash and things like that. We've had the awkwardness of, let's go over to our final challenge. Actually, no, we're going to have a feature. They instead put the two features either side of each other, either, you know, either side of the ad break. So that kind of makes things feel a bit more coherent and things like that. So, I yeah, I, I got a real kick out of this. First challenge weren't great, but that celebrity challenge was awesome. The news was really good. They, and the two features either side were really good. Consultations over was good. I I think this is the best episode we've had of Series 4 in a while. It's not because it's exceptional. It's just because it's stable. Yeah. They've started to work out what they want to be, and they've managed to find a way to use the existing footage they have to have it make sense. I mean, the only way that before this that they really had the two features make sense, other than the Ridge Racer footage, which was just kind of like, this is exciting, was last week when it was just like, no, this challenge is so bad, I have to Kanye this and interrupt you. And here's a feature instead of watching this god-awful gameplay. Whereas here, it just flowed naturally. Big, big fan of this. Uh, what do you think in score-wise? I don't think I can push it into the 90s for being stable. No, absolutely not. But I can give it the DeLorean. Go an 88. Yeah, I had, I had 87. So I think that 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 sort of averages us out there. Yeah, that's fine. But I think that's going to do us for this week's episode. Thank you all so much for listening. You all rule every single one of you. You can find us on Twitter at underconsolepod, on Instagram at under.console, and you can send us an email to feedback at underconsultation.com. And if you want to chat with us in real time, chat with other listeners, other fans of Games Master, retro gaming, pop culture in general, you can do so over on our Discord, details of which can be found on our social media or in the show notes. And if you want to support this podcast monetarily, you can do so over at patreon.com forward slash under console pod, where you'll get access to UCP Extra, which is this show format, but done for other TV shows. We've done The X-Files, Raggy Dolls recently, uh, Supermarket Sweep, Funhouse, a bunch of stuff. You'll also get access to our monthly community podcast under Console Nation. And if you want to get next week's show one week early and ad-free, you can do so at the £5 level. But at the £10 level, you get a little bit extra. Ash, what do they get? Or at the £10 level, they get a Patreon-exclusive mug featuring Patreon-exclusive stickers, badges, retro Power Rangers trading cards and sweeties, and £5 off our under-consultation t-shirt, which can be found at our website, along with other badges, stickers and mugs, underconsultation.com. And as we are so close to the end of this series, I do want to say the Patreon pack will be changing. Mm. Starting from Series 5, it's going to be a revised Patreon pack. If you're an existing £10 Patreon, don't worry, stay tuned. There will be a way for you to get the goodies as well. I'm just working out the details. It will be an all-new Patreon pack. So if you want that mug, hop onto our Patreon now. 
or forever hold someone else's muck someone else's tea shout out to those 10 pound backers xanderthal william simon sean sarah roberts rich downer rich pemberton nick misha matty clark kevin jamie gordon david palmer david fisher darkside 73 colin cliff and adam d thank you all so much for listening we will see you in seven days time for episode 16 two more episodes left of series four to go take care everyone good night Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.